0: Hi, before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know about some bonus content from Spotlight On. Head over to spotlightonpodcast.com blog and check out Bonus Tracks, the official blog of this podcast. There you'll find special material exclusive to the website including music recommendations, artist interviews, essays, and more. Have a look. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. Today the spotlight shines on the Basel, Switzerland-based band Lillimores, which consists of vocalist Anna Kopp, pianist Thilo Sievers, and sound artist Yaka R. With their debut album, When I Am Dead, My Dearest, out on June 30th, Lil' Amores is taking jazz into new territories of experimental electroacoustic music, utilizing poetry from the last two centuries, as well as original lyrics written by Anna. Theirs is a new sonic identity of surrealistic collage, featuring stylistic and thematic contrasts throughout. Stick around until the end of our discussion, and listen to the track Slow Traveler from When I Am Dead, My Dearest. And now, Lillimore's. As I was preparing for our time together and learning about each of you, I realized I could probably spend an hour <laughs> with each of you. It's incredible the, the backgrounds that, that you have and that you come from and the different perspectives you bring. But I, I thought Rather than try to over-accomplish all the things that I was trying to accomplish, I thought maybe I'll start and hopefully focus mostly on the current project. And I think the first question I have for whoever would like to jump in with the answer is, can you tell me a little bit about the name? It's a word that I'm not familiar with. And as I looked into it, I would just love to know if there is a story behind the name.
1: Yes, there is a little bit of the story behind, behind the name. We wanted to come up with the word that maybe doesn't mean anything, but it actually means something to us. And when we were trying to find that word, we were just going through the topics that are very dear to us or like that we talk about in the music. Then we figure out that there is a lot of connection between contrasts and between death and birth and life and something dark and something, something light, something warm. So we came up with lila as um, purple, as something warm, also as a flower lily, which is a symbol of birth, and mors as death. And somehow together it connects a very colorful word, which is uh, full of brightness and full of darkness.
0: What is it about the theme or the notion of contrast that seems to so intrigue and unite the three of you in this project, what is it about that, the notion that you find attractive or interesting to explore?
2: I think it's just something, I mean, that you mentioned before, like, uh, taking out our individual paths, like we come from very different backgrounds. We know a lot of different like cultural and like musical settings. Europe is a very dense continent in that way. Like Ann and Jakar from Slovenia, I'm actually from Germany. So we have a lot of like different perspectives coming together in this project. I think it's just something we enjoy. <laughs> like there's uh just just a good part of of having all these different perspectives and mixing up them up, creating something new with it. So yeah.
0: One of the other themes that came up repeatedly, at least in the in the information that I was reading about the project and about your group together. Was the word struggle? The word struggle came up a few times describing sort of the search for, I think it said the new aesthetic or a new aesthetic in relation to genre crossing, genre bending. And Anna, you sort of referenced it as well just in the search for the right name. And struggle is a very specific word. You know, it connotates, it conjures very specific feelings and a situation. And I, and I wonder, um, maybe if one of you could unpack.
3: The role of struggle.
1: has a lot to say about the struggle. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, just like before Tilo explained how we all come from different perspectives and uh, we like to merge these um, differences from that each of us bring to the band. I would say Ana is really the person that connects to the lyrics the most. And then Tilo. And I honestly, I never listen to the lyrics, <laughs> which is a funny thing for me. The struggle comes from a different perspective and for me the struggle as an electronic musician in this band is to find a way how to introduce electronic sounds into such a full already acoustic piano voice duo. And this is still a huge struggle for me even now, especially now that we went to live performances, how to incorporate this and how to, how to try to blend with them as organically as possible. So I would say like, this is like the strongest struggle in this kind of context for me. But as we said before, each of us has a different perspective on this, definitely.
1: Different struggle.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I just also have to point out that Anna and Jaka are really the people who will always do it the hard way. Like they, (laughs) um, they will always go beyond what is our comfort zone in that way and always push beyond that. So I think there's just, there's struggle in that all the time. It's just ingrained in this project somehow. I guess not in a bad way. It's just really just striving for, you know, whatever you can reach.
0: I have to ask then, Tilo, is if they are always doing it the hard way, are, are you the
2: guy that's doing it the easy way? Are you. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say so. I mean, we, we like to no. mix contrast, but maybe not that much. But yeah, yeah, definitely like if you would compare, yeah, probably yes.
0: I wanted to explore something that, that Yaka brought up, which is. I was very curious about how this music is presented live. And I saw that you now have some live performances under your belt. Maybe about half of what looked like was on the diary has been performed. And I'm curious, what is the live presentation? Do you feel as though you've been successful, Yaka, in introducing the electronic element? You know, Did you achieve what you tried to do?
3: Yeah, for me, like when we, the production part came, they recorded acoustically and then I started like playing with the material and I kind of used studio as my instrument in a way. And when we did that and the result is sounding in a specific way and then we went, we all come from a live performance background and we all knew we wanted to perform this music at some point. And then my question first was like, okay, I want to use this similar approach, but now in a live situation, this is like impossible in a way. I just, I don't want to come there and just like trigger samples that I did before. So I would say like the live performance at the moment is like a mix of both worlds. It's like a mix of production and a mix of just like live electronic acoustic improvisation, electroacoustic improvisation. And now also from now on, we started playing as a band since the record kind of was finished. So I would say from now on, we are going to shift a bit the perspective of interacting with each other more in the live situation. And I would say this is like something that we concentrate on the most at the moment. And this is something where we have to work still a lot. I would say at the moment it's a mix and I would even prefer to go more into like a playful and improvisational aspect of the whole thing.
0: That's exciting to take an electroacoustic format and introduce that improvisational element. Definitely. It's it's
1: pretty challenging to actually still keep the song or the form of the song that we created for the album, but you know, have this improvisation, have this frame for improvisation because we're all three we're really like in love with improvisation. I mean we're From We're coming from the jazz world, so we need that freedom on the concert to have fun. So I think that was the biggest challenge with this pre-release tour, to find this open space, but still play the music to represent the album that we're presenting.
0: If someone saw you the first night or the first couple of nights of performance, and they were to see you now, has the presentation evolved in that time? And do you expect it to continually evolve? Like, how do you think about your evolution as a live ensemble?
2: I would definitely say you can feel a difference from concert to concert, really. Also, like, Anna and me, we've been playing actually as a duo for a couple of years now. And it's just, it's ever evolving. I mean, we we started out playing, like, some jazz tunes and then like some own own songs and it really like different you know, we had different stops along the way yeah then Yak came in um, and definitely our first concert was not the same as it is now like things are, are constantly changing the freedom That freedom that anna just talked about is it's always like growing it's increasing we feel more comfortable with the material with each other i guess so yeah yeah um, might be totally different in a few months
0: If you don't mind me asking, I'll direct this question initially to either Tilo or Anna. I hear the evolution from your work together. The Great Pinewood feels like the inflection point for this new sound you've embarked upon with Yaka at the risk of you having to overanalyze your own work. How deliberate were you in the conversations about trying to set out to create a new sound? What you do is definitely a unique sound. And I'm just curious as to how deliberate that was.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it seems unfair to ask, but I'm so curious. <laughs>
1: I think this actually connects maybe with what we what Tilo said before, that me and Yaka are people that always strive for like uncomfortable situations and new things and finding something new. So I guess I was here the one that was pushing it a little bit, or I felt that I want to go in a different direction. I I knew that this was very appealing for me. I'm talking now about more the aesthetics and the use of electronics and just moving away from what we knew from jazz repertoire. I guess from my side, it was a little bit more deliberate, but then on the other hand, it was also just coming out naturally. And Tilo is a very open person and... <laughs> He also likes to grow and walk with us on this path. So I think it was pretty natural how we actually then moved on. The funny thing is that with The Great Pinewood, actually, Yaka worked with us on the post-production. So this was the first, first collaboration of us three. And I guess it gave us an idea of what the next album could be. But still, we didn't really think about it. Yeah.
0: To change gears slightly, I'm curious, and I, I I'm going to assume this question is more appropriate for you, Anna. Could you talk a little bit, or I would say at least it's probably not appropriate for Yaka, given what he's already told us. Could you tell me a little bit about the Rossetti poem that the album takes its title from?
1: Yeah, actually, Ti also can talk about it because he, he wrote that piece and chose this poet. Maybe oh, okay,
0: I, I connected you with the poem because of the oh, because sorry, as the yeah. lyricist.
2: Yeah, so I apologize. <laughs> well i mean um there's a lot to say about it i mean um depending on on you know what you want to know what you focus on i mean well basically how it came along like on we had this really long phase of just going through poetry like we would just uh, go to libraries go to web pages and just read through poems basically i think mainly to just be inspired you know, to to find nice sounding words that that have a beautiful meaning because that's not always easy to come up with yourself when you're a pianist, for example, like me. We had a lot of improvisation with that poetry going on. That's also like on our duo album, actually, there were some pieces that our producer and friend, Uli, just brought some poetry to the studio and we just improvised with it. And some of the takes turned out great and ended up on the album. That's what we've done a lot. And then uh, one of these poems was this one, When I'm Dead, My Dearest, which is, um, I guess, also really about this darkness, lightness, contrast, putting it together. It's basically about seeing death from a light perspective, like not being too sad when someone leaves us, but to consider that person is still kind of around and still going to live within us or within the things around us. It's really like a, a happy take on a sad topic, I think.
0: Does that resonate for you personally? Do you believe that?
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I think I really tend to, you know, take hard things lightly, or with a smile. Yeah, I guess that's how that poem came into the repertoire.
0: Could you talk to me a little bit more about what you were describing about using the poems as inspiration, specifically for improvisation? Especially for our listeners who may not—I mean, that—that's—that that, would be very easy to glance over. But it it feels substantial. It feels, is it more about using what the poem conjures as like prompts for an improvisation? Like what role does the poem play basically in kicking off a a session?
2: Well, I mean, it's, it was not only poems, maybe I should say that it was also like song lyrics without the song. Like we would also take like lyrics and then just create new music with it. I don't know. I think in the beginning was probably just about the excitement of it. (laughs) Like, Mm. um, How to analyze a poem or lyrics and just extract that, that meaning that's like underlying and not maybe that obvious in it, like the mood and the atmosphere, everything that's around the words or between the words. And then to then choose our notes, our time, our rhythm, our arcs to create that uh, out of improvisation. I think it's just something that we, that we've always liked. And it's still kind of happening. Like our compositions are compositions, but they're still kind of loose. So we still play with that. We still would react to, to words in the lyrics. We would still follow, like Arnold improvises with lyrics. She would make up lyrics in the moment or tweak them, and I would catch up on that and follow along. So yeah, it's, it's just something that at some point really entered our playing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And for us singers, this is—it's always good to have like words. It is also our in- instrument in a way. So instead of having the keys, it's just one, one of the tools that we can use, that we can play with, like a starting point.
0: We'll be back with more Spotlight On right after this break. If you like what you've heard so far, please share us with a friend and leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. For past episodes, web-only exclusives, and to join our mailing list, visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. And now, back to Spotlight On. something else that struck me, and I hope you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but in reading some of the credits around the album, specifically from the Bandcamp page, one thing that stood out for me is that it wasn't explicitly stated, but was the album self-produced? Did the three of you do it all yourselves? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay, (laughs) and I'm curious about that mainly because there's a lot of peril in that. Obviously, you could get lost and not have a context to pull yourself out of. But it also preserves the singularity of your vision to an extent. And I wonder about that choice. I wonder about you know three people that 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 can be difficult because if you operate as a democracy (laughs) and you're not always unanimous, that could. That that introduces its own problems or challenges, but I'm curious about going down that path of self-production. I would love to understand a little bit about that, if one of you would like to speak to that, maybe Yaka. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So like the, when they went to the studio, I was already there, even though we never played before. I knew both of them from before, but I was already there just listening to the music. I knew the music before and... Before they went to the studio, they asked me to like produce the album, like producing a meaning of like sense of electronic production and also like an overall aesthetic. It was for all of us like the first time doing something like that and uh, we didn't really know how to approach it, so we just went for it. Already in the the recording sessions, I was really concentrated and tried to find the red line, where this could go, what I could add from both sides, like aesthetic production and like electronic post-production. So I think it for all of us it felt natural at the beginning to put put the work that they recorded into my hands for some time and we actually we never discussed about having a third person like as a producer because we just felt like we could do it ourselves and just we all also, also wanted to keep the integrity of like our ideas actually yeah I mean I they were super open to whatever I did I told them before like you have to be open to for things that I input otherwise they wouldn't even ask me to do it so and that kind of just kind of just felt very natural the whole process like so I would produce something I would give it back to them and then my result resulted in they having new ideas which was mm. really really interesting I never thought this is gonna happen whenever I played something back to them there were some ideas from them coming that I never would think of and like some parts that they didn't like that I really liked. And they explained why they didn't like them. And I understood why they didn't like them. And I think because all of, all the three of us worked in this together, I think that's why it really could work just with three of us. Also, if somebody lost the sense of direction of the whole album, some other, like some other person was always there. Okay. But we need to think where this comes, like why and stuff like that. So we kind of really worked as a team, I think very nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that opens the door to the possibility
0: of, for lack of a better way to say it, creating a track where you go first, as opposed to reacting to what they recorded, you providing, say, a soundscape or a soundbed, and then is there any of that on this album, or do you see that as a potential
3: evolution? Actually, on that album, no, but definitely as a potential evolution, yes, definitely. Definitely. And something that we've been talking a lot about already. And for now, we're concentrating more on the live part, like trying to play this music as open as possible, as improvisation as possible. But yes, for the future, definitely, yes. definitely. There were, there are some sketches already around. And as we said already before, it's just like we're still trying to figure it out, like how to put all this together. So,
0: I would love to know from each of you, maybe starting with Anna and we could... And then get everyone else to give their perspective. But in order for this concept and for this group of three to work successfully, did you have to arrive at this place? Is this the sort of sum total of your other experience, both as a solo instrumentalist as well as a collaborator? I guess what I'm trying to get at is can you articulate? How your path prepared you for this point to be so open, you know like that that's one thing that's a theme that comes up here is you have to be open to each other, you had to be able to communicate, not just willing to communicate but able, and these aren't things that we're arrived with fully formed. I'm wondering if those are the kinds of things you might be able to talk about,
1: yeah, I mean, for sure, there is a lot of things to talk about, so I maybe I just pick one thing and the guys can then continue but It's a very beautiful question because I think a lot of times we are not aware of how much time and how long the path needs to be to actually arrive to one place. And still, I don't know if this is success, you know, (laughs) what is success actually? Like, I cannot say if this project is successful, maybe, I mean, for me it is successful just to be able to play with these guys and to create the music in democracy and enjoy it and learn and grow. But it really takes a lot of experience, and I think of course, the music education here really helped because we all went through so many different bands to through so many different tasks and just education itself it makes you stronger and yeah, brings you m- maturity in a way. yeah, I also know I mean, there is a lot of bands that I also know or like that I also played in and they're great and I like the people, but. To work on that level, to have the full dem- democracy, to create together and to go to a tour, you know, to have good finances. I mean, this really, it's not very obvious. It really takes a lot of responsibility and you have to trust the people. I think. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I would say like what for me really great experience about this band was, and I never had that before, it's just like the human like the human interactions and uh, the trust that we have in all of us, not only in music, but also like in other, on other fields. And like, we really learn from each other how to be, that sounds super uh, cliche, but like how to, basically I had to grow as a human beings and like how to work as a sum of three people with different backgrounds. And I...
1: Different cultures. Yeah,
3: different cultures. Definitely. Yes, different cultures. And I must say for me, this is like a very holistic experience as a whole. And yeah, I just wanted to touch on this, like the human thing. I think it's really important in a band, not only like to be friends and to have good times, but also when there are bad times, to be able to talk about it very constructively and sort things out. And I think this is very precious about this trio. That's beautiful.
2: Yeah, maybe if I can just add one thing, like one question I I get a lot from people around, like friends and stuff. They ask me, so how do you guys have this band and like you live in Berlin and the other guys, they live like in Basel, which is a different country. It's it's just far. We don't rehearse that much actually, but we have Zoom calls all the time. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about everything. We design together or we, we talk about the designs together. We talk about the video production together. We talk about everything all the time. And also about personal stuff. So yeah, it's it's really it really takes a lot of effort that people would not assume there is. Like it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of organization, it takes a lot of reliability and um from, from everyone and professionalism. And I think that's really rare to find just three people who kind of are willing to go in the same direction and really pull this through. So yeah, I think that that's something really that helped us reaching this point where we are and I think we all wanna go Beyond this point, so let's see what happens.
0: I think that that ties in to what Anna said as well. I mean it's um it's very hard for an ensemble to exist e- Everyone has to even on a bad day bring the best self they're capable of bringing. I think it speaks to what Anna was saying in terms of success, like is it successful? how we especially in this day and age, how would you even know anymore? like what is the measure there's certainly aesthetically it's I can say that as a listener. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> and maybe it's most fair for me to say it so that you don't have to, but it's successful <laughs> there. But it also seems like um, humanistically it's been successful for you in terms of just how to live. as a way to live. It's really beautiful to hear you speak of each other and the project that way. Over the last maybe six or nine months, a lot of the artists that we've had on as guests have been coming more and more from a world of Blending at the most broadly electro and acoustic, Mm
4: -hmm.
0: most specifically jazz or improvisational musics and electronic and produced music. Do you see or feel yourselves as part of a movement, or do you have peers that are also exploring these intersections? Are you a community of musicians
3: trying to find this new thing? I can speak for myself, but uh, actually, to be honest, I feel alone in the way that we approach this stuff. We are all aware of trying to be aware as much as possible of what's going around us. And we have a lot of friends here trying to blend acoustic and electronic, of course, and a lot of people doing great jobs in this kind of field. How I approach our, our project is it's... Basically, like extended acoustic project, I would say it's really as a like electronic musician in this band. I'm always just trying to find where is the line between acoustic and electronic. And I would say, like when people listen to our music, especially live now, I would still want us to want them to perceive us as, as acoustic group. So I'm really struggling again. I mean, I'm just trying to find this spot where I'm just like lifting them on a different level, basically. So there's a lot of live sampling evolved. There's a lot of live processing evolved. There's not so much like sequencing from my side or like really specific pitch-based electronic sound, synthesizer sounds or something like that. So I would say in this kind of like perspective, I feel more or less on our own in a way. Mm-hmm. But that's my perspective.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to add that, of course, we have been influenced a lot with the electro- acoustic trends. And I guess also for us, for me and Yaka we came to Basel to, have, to study the master program. And here there is also a lot of this production part is very strong on just campus. So I think we got inspired by teachers in that way. But when approaching the project, What Yaka I think is also trying to say is that we have been more using the electronics to find a new or like an additional color for me and Tilo, and for our music to make it deeper and more to color the meaning of the words and of the of the theme rather than just adding an electronic part to it or another instrument.
0: I find that very clarifying and makes sense in the context of of the sound you produce that, that, that actually resonates as a listener that comes across.
2: Uh, If I can just add one thing, I think it doesn't only uh, refer to like electronics and acoustics and that specific question, but what I feel is very special about this group is that, um, well, most projects or most bands I've been involved in, or most musicians are involved in, like there's some conventions and rules you kind of know and kind of follow along. So, you know, in jazz, there's like a improvis- t- time for improvisation, then there's a time for doing something else. And then like in pop, there is a time or you, you have to play like this or you should play like this and then you're going to be fitting in, everything's going to be fine. And there's probably also some conventions for electronic introducing electronics to acoustic music that a lot of people do. And in this group, just all the rules or all the conventions, they're just not valid anymore. Like um, the way Yaka approaches this is really not copying other people The way we have our times for improvisation is is definitely not the way that, you know, you would learn in a jazz school. The way we compose, I mean, it's not following, like, forms that you learn from a textbook. Everything is just really so open and fluid. And I think it also just refers to this electroacoustic approach. It's just we do it the way that we understand it best.
0: The album will come out in late June, I believe it is. You'll be performing for the next several weeks, maybe months. What happens next? Like, will you work on this particular project for an extended period of time? Will you go your own ways and work on other projects? Is there another Lillimore's project right after this? You know, do you are you able to see what happens next for each of you individually and collectively?
2: I think, to be honest, we haven't been very good at foreseeing the future for a very long time. <laughs> <after>. <laughs> like we've we've not had a lot of master plans and if we had any master plan we definitely did not execute it the way we planned it so <laughs> I, I i really have no idea to be honest i, I definitely don't do not know what's going to happen what about you guys
1: yeah definitely we were not good in following the plans but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is of course like a common wish and um, plan to of course continue with this i mean it's a it's a start. And uh, we've been trying to write some new music now that we understand what this group is. And we are planning, of course, to continue and maybe even to to issue some some remixes in the next year, because that would be very interesting to work on, like to work on some of the songs from the album with a new perspective or with a new production. And then we're trying to figure out at this point, how can we play this music live in which venues? can we play this music? How to find the right the right market and the right audiences? Because it's so versatile. It's so post-genre in a way. And we are all coming from a jazz world, which means that we don't have a lot of knowledge about, you know, the other markets that could be appreciating this music really much. That's kind of the main goal right now, because we would like to play some nice concerts to deliver this music to to the audience in the best possible way, you know?
0: Yeah. That's an interesting point, Anna, that has come up with other artists I've spoken with lately who are attempting, at least broadly, to do similar things and cross genre lines. For the artists that come from a jazz background, there's a lot of questioning about should this be performed in, say, clubs or should we be thinking about rock venues, or there's even artists I've spoken with who have just decided to go a different path and create their own environments, whether it's in a studio or a converted church, or just this searching for not only a new sound, but what's the right way to present it? What's the right place to present it? Because you're right, the rooms that you choose often dictate the audience that shows up.
1: Also this, well, how our music is then projected, you know, because Yaka can probably talk about this more, like how much the sound is important for this project, and how what kind of experiences we had now on the tour when we actually played mainly in in jazz clubs.
3: <laughs> I mean, yes, like it's because we come from jazz perspective. Like in smaller clubs that we can get gigs in, like at the moment, like there is not a great PA, there is no like DJ desk where I could put my stuff on. And I've been involved also a bit into the like avant-garde electronic scene in Basel. And I just see whoever comes from this like institutionalized classical electronic backgrounds, like wherever they play, there's a great PA, there are DJ desks, there are stereo monitorings, there are subs, you know, we are just not so used to request that in a way, or like to expect that from a venue to have. And then when you come there and there's no mixing engineer and you need to bring you need to carry the PA and there are no subs, it's just really like a, another struggle. It's, just like, <laughs> it's really painful then to play this concert, which can't be executed as we would like it to be. Me being the sound person while playing, it's just like, it's impossible. So we're just trying to figure that out also as well, like maybe concentrating on the last concerts and to, have, to know what we expect from that concert that we play and really just try to build from there. I'm on the West Coast of the United States, and there's
0: a there's a group out here that promotes mainly ambient electronic shows. And they've gone and found actually a lot of the pioneers of electronic and computer music and ambient music from as far back as the mid-60s. And they take those artists and pair them with a lighting designer, and then they stage the shows in old churches. Yeah. and. The entire venue is lit with projection and light installations, incredibly immersive and beautiful and
3: such a grand way to present the music. Yeah. I, that would be the dream. I guess this is something that we also like, we just need to shift our mentality a bit because we were always, as jazz players, we were always used to go on this like short tours of like, I don't know, five to 10 concerts in some not great venues just so we can play, just so we can inter- interact with each other, you know, and not a lot of equipment and just to like go from one, one year to another. And I think for this project, something that you mentioned, like some stuff like that, that need much more planning, that needs a stronger concept, but then there's just like one instance, maybe every half a year or something. I think that could fit us very good. And then also we would invest more. We would like have our music presented in a better way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing how this project evolves over the coming weeks and months and years. And uh, I've really enjoyed what I've heard so far. I can't wait to hear the full album. Thank you very much for making time to be here. I very much appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much. You. It's been great. For us here. Thank you so much, Anna, Tilo, and Yaka from Lilamores. As always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On, a production of 23 Media Ventures. I'm your host and executive producer, Lawrence Purrier. We're produced and edited by Michael Donaldson, and our theme music is by Q-Burns Abstract Message. For over 150 past episodes, web-only exclusives, to make a donation to support our production, and to join our mailing list, visit us online at spotlightonpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Be safe and stay in touch. And now Lillimore's with Slow Traveler from their debut album, When I Am Dead, My Dearest.
4: I am lost in a day And skies above me Are dull and grey When every step is hunter and the prey. <laughs> Swimming against the stream The endless flow (laughs) trying to move down.